Hey there, welcome to Essential Experience, a podcast where we talk about gaming experiences that have shaped our tastes in video games by bringing forward new ideas to define and redefine entire genres. From retro relics like Morrowind and Doom to indie icons that break new ground with unique ideas, we're here to explore what makes us enthusiasts fall in love with our favorite gaming experiences. With Pokemon Legends Arceus, Arceus? Arceus? Whichever way you say it. With Legends Arceus dropping next week, there's no better time to talk about the most profitable media franchise in the world. Pokemon has topped out not only every other Nintendo brand, but even more broadly known media like Hello Kitty, Star Wars, and Mickey Mouse. From its inception in 1996, the core gameplay loop of collecting your favorite little pocket monsters and building a team to battle against other trainers has been a hit, to say the least, starting off in Japan and then blowing up in the West a couple of years later. There's something in it for everyone, whether you're interested in the turn-based strategy and team-building elements, or if you love collecting them just because they're cute. Pokemon has developed into a 900-strong critic collection and $24 billion in revenue from just the games alone. Most everyone that's played Pokemon has a favorite game in the franchise for one reason or another. Many will always love their first game. Some love Johto because it felt like walking alongside your Pokemon was an adventure with them. Some love Unova for the more serious story and unique designs. Some love Kalos because they're French? I don't know. I don't know anyone that loved X and Y. But anyway, today we're having a bit of a chat about what makes Pokemon great as well as reliving some fun experiences that the Pokemon games have brought myself and my friends over the years. The first and probably most obvious part of what makes Pokemon great is, well, the Pokemon. With 901 little monsters across the roster, whether you love the typical cute and cuddly ones like Eevee and Pikachu, or the gargantuan dinosaur dragon things like Garchomp or Hydreigon, which is a personal favorite of mine, there's so many Pokemon that there's definitely at least one or two that every kid or adult playing will find cool or cute or funny or charming in one way or another. In particular, the starters of any given generation are a particular highlight of cuteness. They're generally the first Pokemon you're exposed to, and seeing them evolve from this cute little cuddly thing into what is generally kind of a badass beast is pretty impactful to most players. Having that journey together is part of the Pokemon experience. You might tell me Totodile looks a little brain dead, but that's exactly why I love him. There's nothing in his pointy-toothed little skull except bite, pure unadulterated biting. These designs and the sentiment associated with them is what makes it so common for people to have a favorite Pokemon. Even if they've never played a Pokemon game, a lot of the designs are just so engaging and interesting and for a lot of people just too damn cute that so many people have never touched a Pokemon game or even watched the anime and just been like, hey, that's cute. I like it. I want a plush of that. Perhaps a less obvious reason that Pokemon has such a universal appeal is the power fantasy that it fuels. In the world of Pokemon, everyone and everything is centered around your elemental powered little friends. Your local cafe, probably lit by a chandelier. Your taxis, one of the giant birds across the franchise. Your sport, legal animal cage fighting. Your local domesticated housewife, 
probably enslaving Pokemon to do menial chores. Every part of and every one in the Pokemon world lives and breathes Pokemon training in some way, shape, or form. Then the player comes into this equation and more or less obliterates every single person that dares challenge them to a battle. Not because the player is particularly skilled, mind you, a lot of players are literally four years old, but because every other Pokemon trainer seems to have missed the memo that having an entire team of Metapods or Wooloos is probably the reason that some random kid just took their lunch money without even breaking a sweat. This power fantasy, the idea that you, the player, are the most exceptional Pokemon trainer in the world, is part of the hook that gets you in. Being the best like no one ever was. It's Ash's goal, and while he never really achieves it in the anime, it's what the player experiences in every Pokemon game. Back to the more obvious traits that make the Pokemon franchise the domineering force that it is, the version split. Most Pokemon games have dropped two very, very similar games at the same time, spare for a few Pokemon that are exclusive to each version. Usually, this is the Pokemon on the cover, the legendary, and a handful of other ones scattered throughout the game. If I want my beloved cave gremlin, Sableye, I better go buy Shield and hope that my other favorite Pokemon aren't locked over in Sword. But if my friend goes and buys Sword, then I can trade with him to get my precious Hydreigon and then maybe I can give him something that he wants. It's a bit of a hassle but it's also part of the social experience of Pokemon, what makes it so popular among young kids on the playground. While the age of the internet has dulled this social element a little bit with additions like the global trade system and wonder trading, the feverish fighting over which legendary Pokemon on the box is cooler remains a strong selling point. Although honestly, Zacian and Zamazenta both look stupid, so at least you don't have to worry about that for Sword and Shield. This sort of socialization is essential to completing your Pokedex and catching them all and therefore the Pokemon experience. Pokemon's combat system might not stand out that much from other RPGs. It is just pick a move, wait, and then pick a move. But there is one strength that carries it over many other comparable games. Instead of having a small pool of characters to choose from, your party can be more or less any combination of Pokemon available to you. Compared to Final Fantasy or Fire Emblem where you're limited to about 5 to maybe 30 characters, Pokemon's extensive roster gives players a lot more choice as to how they want to compose their team and strategize. This extensive range of choice means that a lot of players are going to have pretty different experiences, struggling with a certain gym leader instead of another one, or lucking into a really uncommon Pokemon early in the game. It also means that everyone's going to have unique Pokemon to them that are really sentimental, different members of their team that they couldn't live without. And that is one of the things that makes mostly people's first Pokemon game. But many Pokemon experiences so memorable. Speaking of different experiences, I want to share some of my personal favorites from over the years, alongside some anecdotes that some of my friends have sent in that they wanted to share. For me, SoulSilver was the first Pokemon game I finished. Not the first one that I played or owned. I had jumped on friends Game Boys and DS's in the past and played a little bit of Pokemon here and there and I had a copy of Platinum before I got SoulSilver but SoulSilver holds a special place in my heart because it's the first one that I ever finished. Starting off with picking Totodile for his charming goofiness, if I haven't made my love clear for the stupid little crocodile child, he is my favorite starter by a massive amount. The adventure of going through Johto, descending into the Slowpoke well to stop Team Rocket, adventuring through the Lake of Rage, catch the red Gyarados that was terrorizing the locals, skipping a few gyms accidentally because I got lost. Yeah, I mean, that happened. I ended up in Mahogany Town instead of Siamwood, 
because I got lost. I, I read something about the Red Gyarados in one of the cities and I was like, oh cool, we're gonna go do that. Did that stop me from tackling Price even though I was massively underleveled? No, of course not. It was only when I got the gym badge that I was like, oh, this isn't the gym I'm meant to be at. I had to backtrack a little bit. Completing my first Pokedex while I saved up for a 3DS was honestly one of the bigger experiences and I kind of miss that DS. Black and white also have a special place in my heart for a genuinely compelling story that's far more engaging than your average Pokemon tale and also forcing you into using exclusively the Unova Pokemon, which is a change I think should apply to every Pokemon game moving forward because it makes each region feel more unique and more diverse. Toxplicity, who was our guest for episode two, has a little bit to talk about Diamond and Pearl, which a lot of my friends have a very soft spot for Sinnoh. If you haven't listened to episode two, Tox gives me the rundown on Fortnite and tells me a lot about how it's evolved, and we have a bit of a chat about the battle royale genre, so if you want to go check that out, show notes down below. Diamond is still one of my all-time favorite games, regardless of how the remakes weren't really up to standard and had way too many glitches. I still managed to feel some nostalgia playing the remix, but nothing like using an emulator to go back and play my first ever Pokemon game. The starters and the story are also good, though SoulSilver and X and Y have a place in my heart as well. Another person that loves Sinnoh would be Kid Varg, who is a friend of mine and a streamer on Simplicity SMP, along with me and Tox, and he says that it's more like a feeling that you get from playing Pokemon. I remember saving up all year to get a DS so I could play Pokemon, and I used to play it for hours on end, and I remember there was a feature where it lined up with the real world time, and I went to Floroma Town in the evening as the sun was going down and watched the sunset. The music in Floroma Town has always stuck with me since then, sometimes I'll pull it up and listen to it. It makes me think of late afternoons on my DS without a care in the world, doing something stupid like using a Master Ball on a Magikarp. No other town in any other game, Pokemon or otherwise, has really stuck in my mind like that. A couple of smaller anecdotes from some friends that I played Pokemon with a ton when I was in high school. Ori says that I would say my favorite memory would be picking Mudkip and Sapphire. The immense amount of joy I felt as a five-year-old playing my first proper game that was my own. It's a feeling that's absolutely unmatched. And Alex, who I spent most of grade 10, 11, and 12 sitting in math class and playing X and Y and Ruby and Sapphire, finally beating the Elite Four for the first time in Ruby after countless tries with my shitty, underleveled, and undertrained team. Was I a stupid four-year-old? Yeah. Did it stop me? No. So I think a through line for a lot of these stories and anecdotes is nostalgia. Pokemon has such a grip on people because they grew up with it, because they had those experiences that were kind of fundamental to them as a gamer. That's hard to shake. While Pokemon wasn't really a game that I grew up with, I was pretty late to the gaming party compared to a lot of my friends. I finished SoulSilver when I was 14, I think. I understand it in the sense of other games that were fundamental and I will always cherish in my mind, like Portal or Team Fortress 2 or LEGO Star Wars. That sense of nostalgia makes those games stay in your mind for so long because they've kind of been a building brick to who you are as a gamer now. That being said, Game Freak's chokehold 
on your nostalgia is one of the reasons that this franchise has kind of stagnated. A lot of fans, myself included, have voiced concerns about the games getting simpler and also not really evolving. Even with the transition into 3D with X and Y, a lot of the Pokemon games still felt very simple. If anything, more simple than the 2D games. In the move to 3D, Game Freak has made the Pokemon games even more linear. There are far fewer opportunities to explore, and you are often very much railroaded through the game. Sword and Shield, in particular, are a massive grievance to me, where a very open world game was promised, but ultimately, the wild area is only a small element of the Sword and Shield experience, and outside of the wild area, it is possibly the most linear Pokemon game. While many people suggest that slower releases would benefit the quality of the games, say every three or four years instead of every two years, that doesn't quite work as much as we think it would. Pokemon is much larger than just the games. You have the anime, you have the trading cards, you have all the plushies, you have so much other content related to Pokemon other than just the video games. And slowing down the release cycle of that doesn't mean just slowing down the game releases, it means slowing down all those other releases that coincide with each game release as well. That means that, yeah, the trading card game is going to be updated less often, new plushies less often, and overall that would give Pokemon less of a choker hold on the media market as it is. Is that necessarily a good or bad thing? That's not for me to answer. I think that's very subjective. And while I would like to see less frequent Pokemon games that would end up being hopefully, more unique and more complete experiences, I don't think that's going to happen. I've already voiced a couple of grievances about Sword and Shield, and I'm not going to go too deep into those because I'm putting out a big video next week about exactly that, my problems with Sword and Shield and all the strengths and weaknesses that it brings to the table. But if you want to see that video, you can go subscribe over on YouTube and keep an eye out for that next Friday. So moving forward, what do we want out of the Pokemon franchise? As a franchise that holds such a strong place in so many people's hearts, what can Pokemon do to be more in line with its contemporary RPGs and be a more complete game? Well, Legends Arceus is looking like the step in the right direction. Many people are comparing it to Breath of the Wild, which I think is dangerously high praise for a game that hasn't come out yet, but it does take some aesthetic cues from Breath of the Wild, and it does appear to be very open. Pokemon are looking far more animated, which is one of my major grievances with past Pokemon games, and ultimately, I have high hopes for it. I don't fully trust Game Freak to deliver on those hopes, but I continue to be optimistic, because I want the best for the Pokemon franchise. I want to see the Pokemon that I've grown attached to in the highest quality and the most engaging environment that they can be in. And unfortunately, over the last few years, Game Freak has not delivered that, in my opinion. Here's an opinion that I think's pretty unpopular. Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are some of the best Pokemon games to have come out in the last few years. They are nothing more and nothing less than what they were marketed to be. They were designed to get Pokemon Go players to try out a proper Pokemon RPG game like the Core series. So is a bit of a middle ground between the very casual format of Pokemon Go and the more traditional RPG format of the Core series of Pokemon games. And 
That upset a lot of fans because they were like, oh, you are appealing to casuals. This isn't a Pokemon game that we want to see. We're sick of seeing Kanto. There's a lot of complaints about it. Some of those complaints are valid. Game Freak does seem to have a thing for Generation 1, but that being said, so does a lot of the fan base. So it's Game Freak catering to you guys. But those grievances of the community aside, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee are exactly what they set out to be. They are very well-polished games, even if they are quite simple and definitely easier than most mainline Pokemon games is genuinely some of the most fun I've had in a Pokemon game as of late because they were just well polished. They were complete. There was nothing missing. Yeah, the animations could have been better. Yeah, the world could have been somewhere other than Kanto, but it was exactly what it set out to be and it did a damn good job doing it. A similar hot take that I mentioned earlier is that I really like that black and white, the last games on the DS, forced you to use the Nova Pokemon over everything else. For those of you that don't know, when you play through black and white, until you get right up to the end of the game, you only have the new hundred or so Pokemon that are introduced in that region. No Pikachu, no Eevee, only your new friends. And to me, that made black and white one of the more memorable Pokemon experiences because it was so different to every other region. It did have that unique characteristic of you are only here for the Unova Pokemon. You don't get a choice. And I think Unova has some of the best Pokemon designs of any generation. While I think this approach wouldn't work for every generation, I think it could be a good idea to really make each generation and region feel unique from each other. Anyway, I think that's it for today's episode and I'm very much looking forward to Pokemon Legends Arceus. If you're interested in seeing how I feel about it and other Pokemon games, you can subscribe over on YouTube or you can jump over to Twitch and follow me there where we will absolutely be playing Legends Arceus on opening weekend. Very excited for it, a little bit scared, <laughs> but we will, we will see how it turns out. Anyway, thank you for listening. I do really appreciate it. If you want to listen to more fun conversations about gaming, game design, and growing up with video games, you can go check out the rest of Essential Experience. But until then, I wish you the best in your gaming adventures.